welcome to all of you who are who are just joining us now uh, catching up on various social media channels and music apps like Spotify and iTunes we welcome you and we are going to jump now into our second Bible reading which is from the, the gospel according to Mark a typo there I obviously had a moment Mark 43 <laughs> don't try looking for Mark chapter 43 verse 72 because of course that doesn't exist it's Mark chapter 14 Mark chapter 14 verses 43 to 72 so Mark 14 starting at verse 43 And immediately while he yet spake, while Jesus spoke, cometh Judas, one of the twelve, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves or clubs, from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And he that betrayed him had given them a token, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same is he. Take him and lead him away safely and as soon as he was come he goeth straight away to him and saith master master and kissed him and they laid their hands on him and took him and one of them that stood by drew a sword and smote a servant of the high priest and cut off his ear and Jesus answered and said unto them are you come out as against a thief with swords and with staves to take me I was daily with you in the temple teaching and you took me not but the scriptures must be fulfilled. And they, the disciples, all forsook him and fled. And they followed him a certain young man having a linen cloth cast about his naked body. And the young men laid hold on him. And he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. And they led Jesus away to the high priest. And with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. And Peter followed him afar off, even into the palace of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself, warmed himself at the fire. And the chief priests and all the council sought for witness against Jesus to put him to death, and found none. For many bear false witness against him, but their witness agreed not together. And there arose certain and bear false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. And within three days I will build another made without hands. But neither so did their witness agree together. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But he held his peace and answered nothing. Again the high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes and saith, What need we of any further witnesses? Ye have heard the blasphemy. What think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to buffet him and to say unto him prophesy and the servants did strike him with the palms of their hands and as Peter was beneath in the palace 
there cometh one of the maids of the high priest, and when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also was with Jesus of Nazareth? But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch, and the cock crowed. And a maid saw him again, and began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them. And he denied it again. And a little after they that stood said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of who you speak. And the second time the cock crowed. And Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him, Before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. Last week we found the disciples and Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane and we looked at this picture that Mark painted for us and we saw Jesus praying to God and we saw that he he seemed to waver in his mission and as, as difficult as it is for us to understand the, the incarnation how God can be manifest in the flesh well we found ourselves forced to accept that the humanity of Jesus Christ recoiled from the thought of the suffering he was about to face. But his mission was never in any danger of failing. It was in the will of God that Jesus' fear would be turned into resoluteness. And we can see this determination because... Oops. We can see this determination uh, in the fact that um, last time, you, you maybe rem remember, that the last thing he said to the disciples was, you know, he told them, you've let me down, you fell asleep, you should have been praying for me. Come on, let's get up. We're going to, we've got to meet these people now. So, he had no thoughts of escape, he attended to meet the enemies head on. Not to, not to fight them, as maybe the disciples thought, but to surrender to them. I was saying a few weeks back about the vast numbers of visitors in Jerusalem around Passover time and even with all the residents open the houses to accommodate all these visitors there was far too many and so many of them would camp out just outside the walls in those fields and hills and so it would be nearly impossible for the authorities to, to find Jesus without the help of Judas and Judas knew Judas knew their favourite little spot, the one they went to all the time. And Judas came with this mob, and it's impossible to say how large the group was that came to arrest Jesus. There could be there could have been hundreds, there could have been many hundreds. And Jesus comments on their heavy-handed approach. They could have arrested them quietly in the temple. And maybe they thought that he had some support amongst the common people in the temple, and it was too big a risk. So they decided on this approach. It, this was something that this was something that was done sometimes. Like the you know the police, where I live, if they raid a house, they'll go at six in the morning because the type of people who have their houses raided <laughs> tend to be people who are uh, you know up all night, up to no good, and you know they're never they're never up early at like six a.m. to walk the dog or something. 
so they do that and I think back back here in, in those times they they would um, sometimes arrest people at night to, to take them by surprise and also because all their mates would be in bed and not be able to come to their to their aid well it turns out there was some justification for the this arresting party to expect trouble because the disciples for a short time anyway the disciples are ready for a fight Peter even has a go at one of them he, he took out it was maybe his um, it could have been his um, fishing knife he was a fisherman in so he would have carried this knife anyway whatever it was yeah he he, ha he had a go at one of them and Jesus rebuked him because Jesus would no more allow his mission to be interfered with now than when he rebuked Peter on that other occasion you'll remember when Peter was trying to persuade Jesus to stop talking about going to your death It must have been pretty sickening for Jesus to be betrayed by, you know, by his friend. I mean, G Judas came and he pretended to honour Jesus with his greeting. He included a kiss in it. Such a deep betrayal, you know. There are all kinds of theories, by the way, about why Judas decided to betray Jesus. You know, on the face of it, it doesn't make much sense. Um, but uh, he had his reasons and we're not told here in Mark I don't think we're meant to dwell too much on it the, the main point is the betrayal was sinful but God still worked it into the pattern of his sovereign will so we next see Jesus in a type of court it's not a proper court hearing because it didn't meet the, the legal requirements it was an impromptu preliminary hearing in front of the Sanhedrin and it's unclear whether or not they had the power at, at this time in history whether they had the power to have Jesus stoned to death blasphemy wasn't illegal by the way uh, under Roman law but they may or may not uh, have given uh, the Jews the authority to make these kinds of judgments among themselves anyway witnesses are brought in we hear to testify against Jesus but of course they're all contradicting each other maybe maybe they've been paid to say stuff or maybe they just they, they just want to be the center of attention and they come in with all these wild you know ideas and the Jewish law wouldn't allow people to be convicted from you know based on witness statements that all contradicted each other they do find a couple of people who eventually say something close to the truth but of course their their understanding of what Jesus said was flawed and and so that came out in the way they they gave evidence now what really w was said was found in John's second uh, chapter Jesus answered and said unto them destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up now we know what Jesus meant we know when they destroyed the temple of his body he would raise it again in his resurrection now even when Jesus has the opportunity to clarify his meaning and, and just completely undermine these witness statements and explain doctrinally where they'd gone wrong well he doesn't he remains silent 
this is the, this Jesus can just pray. He even said, "I can just pray to my Father now, and he'll just send a, you know a legion of angels and just kill everyone in like a three mile radius in, in a millisecond." But then the crucifixion wouldn't go ahead. There'd be no atonement. So you see, he has to allow himself to be in trouble. And so he's he's not defending himself and you know and in a way that's a good thing that he didn't defend himself because that meant he went on to, to Calvary. It, it's it's really it takes us back a little bit to this uh, this well known verse in Isaiah. It says of the future Messiah, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is done, so he opened not his mouth. Isaiah 53 and verse 7. Jesus has decided when he'll speak. And when he does, it won't be to protest his innocence. The high priest asks him a very direct question. Are you the Christ, the Son of God? The time has come for Jesus to respond. And his response is not to admit any guilt but to give a full and clear answer to the high priest's question he responds yes I am now you've heard that phrase before I am so we shouldn't be too hasty in assuming that Jesus is saying it like this I am you know if he said it pronounced like that it would sound unusual then he'd be making reference to that time when God was asked what his name was and the answer was I am and we don't know it could have just been the same sort of I am like when he said I am hungry or I am thirsty just an expression of you know his, uh, his state at that time and so it could be in that usual sense, but we can't rule out that Jesus may be intended. It depends on how he said it, and we, and we don't get to know that. But maybe he intended them to understand he's claiming the name of God for himself. But the real gift for the Jews anyway was what Jesus said after that. And he uses the title Son of Man, taken from the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, he claims he'll soon be at the right hand of God with power and he talks about coming in judgment in the clouds of God's glory and vengeance well they have him now because uh, he, he, he's, he's done it he's with his own mouth the high priest therefore he according to tradition he's not he's not lost the plot according to his tradition their, their tradition he um he, he tears his whatever you call it shirt he tears that in two as a sign of extreme uh grief if you like because of the blasphemy so let's understand there's no excuse for us to doubt the significance of Jesus's claim he is claiming to be God they haven't misunderstood according to the judgment of every one of these knowledgeable men the claim of G the, the claim that Jesus has just made has not only met but exceeded the threshold for a blasphemy prosecution Everyone declares him guilty and deserving of death. The proceedings then, they, they descend into a, a cruel show, really. 
based based on scripture they employed this test for a true prophet put a bag over his head and then you know do something and get him to tell him who did it and in this case they you know hit him across the face as I go on prophesy then tell us who which one of us did it you know it sounds to me like using scripture as justification for that behavior aggravates their crime I have a feeling that it offends God more than if, if it was just if this was all just an act of plain thuggery ironically at the very time they were employing their outrageous test for him being a true prophet one of his prophecies was being fulfilled because downstairs in the courtyard Peter is enduring his own trial a couple of people recognise him as a as a follower of Jesus but he denies it and the cockerel does indeed crow twice to mark that time by which Judas has disowned Jesus three times and of course it devastates him what I intend to do today is look at these elements of this statement Jesus made hopefully as we spend time just just quite briefly on these important claims of his uh, we'll appreciate again really the magnificence the magnificence of Jesus Christ and uh, in doing that we will honour him so first of all then we'll think about this first term son of man and we, we came across this you'll remember we came across this first in the Old Testament and it isn't used exclusively for the Christ either the majority of if you say of the usages in the Bible is to be found in addressing Ezekiel the prophet but some of its usage is about the Messiah so we need to be cautious when we, we come across the term it says something really remarkable about Jesus I think that he was willing to use that term for himself son of man so enthusiastically in Mark it seems to be his favourite his favourite sort of um, title for himself and and really I think it shows just how far he went in identifying with us so let, let's let's think about the term son of man as used by Jesus himself and the 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 things we're going to say about the term Son of Man are all taken from Mark's Gospel. So these are things we've already covered, albeit maybe many weeks ago. So the, the, the first thing about the Son of Man is, is that he is Lord of Sabbaths. So we see that mention. You may, you'll remember that incident maybe when the disciples are going through the field with Jesus and they're all stripping off bits of corn to eat because they're hungry. Well, you don't question Jesus about his behaviour on the Sabbath day just like the Jewish leaders did. He created the whole concept of Sabbaths. They, they were eventually codified in the law, in the law of Moses, but they were for man's own good. And for all their other benefits, their primary purpose from the very beginning, before the, laws of, the law of Moses, was to foreshadow the rest to be found in our union with Jesus Christ. As the one who 
made Sabbaths, the one who was symbolised in them. Jesus had all the authority to declare what they were all about, no one else. The Son of Man gets to define what Sabbaths are about. Also, we came across another um, another reference to Son of Man. I think it was in was it in chapter three or something? The Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. He is God, and He took on human form, and it's in this state of humanity and divinity He went to the cross to pay for the sins of His elect people. This means that everyone who goes to God in prayer and surrenders to him can now receive complete forgiveness of sins that Jesus earned when he suffered at his Father's hand. And this is why we pray for friends and family. This is why I've just asked you earlier to to just maybe on this occasion pray for for my family uh, and friends. We just want them to surrender. We want them to stop throwing their lives away one distraction at a time we want them to stop messing about in other words and go to God now because the day is coming when they will not be able to repent even if they want to we also came across a reference to the son of man as a servant he declares without any shame that he came to this earth Not to receive the adoration and worship of men, but that he himself would serve mankind. Your first thought when you're hearing about God coming in the flesh wouldn't be that he would announce himself to be a servant. But he gave raw examples of how serious he was, such as when he got down on the floor at the feet of Peter and began to wash his feet. No wonder Peter felt uncomfortable, I mean, wouldn't you? Also, we came across the fact the Son of Man was destined for death and resurrection. And this would be the grandest expression of his servant role. This would involve far more sacrifice, submission, humility than the mere washing of someone's feet. Jesus handed himself over to be beaten up, as we've seen, tortured, verbally abused, stripped naked and nailed to a tree. And it's at that point that the real suffering began. When he got to experience three hours of being stripped of any consolation from God. The Saviour even shouted out how he felt. He said he'd been abandoned by his father. But thanks be to God, it didn't come to an end. I mean, it it did come to an end. The, 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 The suffering did come to an end, I meant that... Although he was in despair, Jesus' expressions of despair turned then to an expression of accomplishment. It is done, he said. It is done. He died. But within just a few days, he rose from the dead and thereby showed his followers what they too would one day experience. And then we also came across a reference to the Son of Man being the judge of all mankind. There couldn't be a greater contrast between the Messiah in these scenes today and him as judge over the whole world. Presently, we see people spitting in his face. Yeah. Then, mankind will see Jesus Christ in a new light. 
whatever naive views people um, hold about Jesus will be gone. Without doubt, they will receive the biggest shock of their existence when they see him in his, his role as, as avenger of sin. If they believed, if people believed in his existence at all, they'll have maybe viewed him as a mild-mannered teacher of good morality. Then they'll see him having hundreds of millions of souls consigned to outer darkness. So listener, if you're not in the camp of Jesus today, we pray you will take this as a strong warning. It is for you. Stop what you're doing. Find somewhere quiet. Get on your knees and plead with God for mercy. The Son of Man. It identifies Jesus with, a, with, man, with, with mankind, with us, in a very special way. But as the Son of Man, he is unique. He's a man, but more than that, he is saviour to some, and he's a judge to others. The next thing Jesus said was, he would be at the right hand of power, at the right hand of God. Now, Although the religious elite were irritated, they were angered even by Jesus' claim to be the Messiah, this in itself didn't really constitute blasphemy. There'd already been a guy who they thought they announced was a Messiah, and he just got put down by the Romans. The reason they unanimously decided Jesus was worthy of death was his claim to be God. Now, take note, Jesus didn't say he was God specifically. It was implied in what he said. Consider that reference in the Psalms that we looked at a few weeks ago. Psalm 110 verse 1. The Lord, Jehovah, the great I am, said unto my Lord, and that was, we now believe that was referring to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. So sitting at the right hand of God meant equality with God. Jesus was claiming not only that he was the son of man, but also the son of God. And I say, I say this again. The reason why the Sanhedrin were able to come to a quick decision with one accord is that Jesus' claims constituted a claim to be God. You might recall uh, Stephen in the book of Acts. He's sometimes called the, the, the first martyr. And he received a vision shortly before he was killed. This is in Acts 7, verses 55 and 56. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. His description parallels what we see here today. And once again, there was no mistaking what Stephen meant. He was describing seeing Christ at God's right hand, making Jesus equal with God, which is why 
the crowd immediately killed Stephen. Whether the image you come across is Jesus on a throne or Jesus sitting in the same throne as his father, it, it, it all amounts to the same symbol. Equality of glory and authority. When we looked at the promises made to believers in the early part of the book of Revelation in chapter 3, you remember chapters 2 and 3 are really these letters written to the, to the churches, some of the ancient churches. And there was, there was one of them, one verse that mentions thrones, uh, Revelation 3 and 21. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Now I describe this overcoming which happens in a way at conversion. It's also something which happens uh, during the, the Christian's life and something that reaches its culmination at the resurrection. And so this means just as was said by the Apostle Paul to be seated right now in heaven, so we are currently ruling with Christ. Now I've acknowledged to you it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel like we rule the world, does it? I mean, we don't make decisions, do we, in the rule of this world? We, of course we don't. But we're ruling in, in the sense that we're united to Jesus Christ and so we have become part of the ruling monarchy of God. So just as we died and rose again with Jesus, it says, so we've been exalted with him. And we'll even take part in judgment with him. Let's have a look at the, the final thing Jesus said. He talked about being in the clouds of heaven. It said coming really, but let's... Let's have a little think back because we, we looked at this a few weeks ago. Let's remind ourselves of some 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 of what we, we, we looked at. Um, we, we looked at this verse in Jeremiah 4. Jeremiah 4 and verse 13 says, Behold, he shall come up as clouds, and his chariots shall be as a whirlwind. His horses are swifter than eagles. Woe unto us, for we are spoiled. It's speaking of God coming in clouds now when we went through chapter 13 in Luke you may remember we examined what the clouds of heaven represented um, clouds are used in a, a wide range of imagery in the Bible both positively and negatively but in chapter 13 it was about a coming judgment and clouds used in this context do indeed speak about the, the glory and the fearfulness of God Well, in that chapter 13, Jesus was deliberately making reference to the prophecy in Daniel. So let's have a read of that again. This is Daniel uh, chapter 7 and verse 13. I saw in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days, God, and they brought him before near before him. And that verse helps us to understand what Jesus meant when he said he would come in the clouds. The people weren't being told to look up in the sky and expect to see 
a small figure being transported on a cloud right Jesus has never will never use clouds as a form of actual transportation it's figurative so I think it's fair to say any mature Bible student will be able to see that and we we um Although we read from Mark 13, there's a, there's a corresponding reference in Matthew 24 and verse 30 for a slightly different perspective about the coming destruction of Jerusalem. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So you can see that what we've read today involves Jesus repeating his declaration of judgment on Jerusalem that he spoke about in his speech on the Mount of Olives that time. I read a, I read a book by um, I read a book on, on, on the Mark's Gospel by um, a guy called uh, Ron Kernahan and this is what he says about this this language, this unusual language. The exaltation of the Son of Man in heaven would be an event that the chief priests, elders and scribes could not actually see because it would take place before the throne of God. The exaltation of the Son of Man, however, would also mean the destruction of the temple. In its destruction, they would see the vindication of the Son of Man. If the members of the Sanhedrin were theologically aware enough They'd understand the symbolism. What they'd experience on earth wouldn't be visions up in the sky at all, but the terrible thunder coming from that direction of the approaching armies of Imperial Rome who would soon, according to the will of God, obliterate Jerusalem, that lovely city we looked at earlier. Well, This preliminary hearing Jesus went through was certainly a regular book. The bigger wonder was why Jesus' accusers didn't pause for a moment to consider whether his claims were true. There was just no thought. They'd already decided he was a nobody. So any claim of divinity equaled an act of blasphemy in their eyes. Again, it, it's astounding to think the only truly innocent person in that room was declared guilty by everyone else. The scenes down in the courtyard with Peter play out like a parallel trial. So we have Peter and the confrontation made towards him is increasing in its hostility too. And those servants or the soldiers, they also came to a conclusion about the one they were accusing. So we have here this great contest, co contrast between what was going on upstairs and what was going down, going on down in the, in the courtyard. So the contrast being that Jesus didn't make a defence which would have been justifiable against the lying witnesses, whereas Judas made a vehement defence against truthful witnesses I said to you Peter was devastated at his own failure 
but it presents a challenge for each one of us really to follow jesus christ properly now is a costly business now certainly the cost will vary depending on where where the lord has placed you in this world and the period of time he's placed you and so on but in even in this relatively free society that we live in we are to consecrate our entire selves to god and if we do that we'll find ourselves having to make sacrifices in many areas of life peter's devotion at this moment didn't amount to much really he preferred a place of safe observation and friends we we need to make sure that we are not standing on the sidelines observing the battle we need to place ourselves right in the middle of it you've maybe noticed that i haven't mentioned this mysterious figure that pops up in verse 50 we can only guess who this man was but what we can do we can get we can use his uh, his anonymity to challenge ourselves about our courage or lack of it in the battle that scene actually is, is 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 reminiscent of a prophecy in the second chapter of Amos. If you want to look at that later, where someone thought to be courageous it would run away, and and they'd even endure the shame of nakedness just to save their own hide. Our warfare should be marked by serpent-like wisdom, dove-like harmlessness and lion-like courage so be brave brethren speak out on issues even at the risk of ridicule tell people about jesus christ even if you might get laughed at there's also encouragement here for you though too if you if you do suffer at the world's uh, hands and are treated unfairly learn from jesus because he endured the false trials and he didn't descend into sinful retaliation because he knew his mission and no amount of suffering could take away from his eventual reward it's the same for us our lord here gives us a great example of behavior we've seen him praying we've seen him conforming his will to god's we've seen him not resisting arrest we've seen him showing dignity even when being maltreated and we've seen him having this driven attitude to finishing the course he was set on so look to him keep looking to him and pray that in every way that you're supposed to that you will be made like him looking unto jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of god hebrews 12 and verse 2. now may the god of peace that brought again from the dead our lord jesus that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you perfect in every good work to do his will working in you that which is well pleasing in his sight through jesus christ to whom be glory 
forever and ever. Amen. Well, thank you, um, thank you for joining us, uh, brothers and sisters. And uh, if you are not a brother or a sister, I don't mean that in an unfriendly way. If you, if you're not part of the family of God, maybe you thought you you were. But uh, if you haven't surrendered to Jesus, if you are uh, not part of a congregation of the Lord's people, if you don't tell others about Jesus, if all these things are alien to you, it's likely that you are standing on the edge of the kingdom wondering what to do well go to god today you're alive today go to him today you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow my email address is here and that uh, means you, you have any questions comments criticisms constructive advice you can fire it off to that paul at neuro.co.uk until then until I see you again, uh, the Lord bless you all.